Coming up next, the booking continues its discussion of Brandon clearing his throat at inappropriate times. But the microphone is way away from me. Yep. As it usually is. Because I have horrible microphone etiquette. It's kind of true. Hey everybody, welcome to The Booking. Brandon has okay microphone etiquette. What tends to happen, which you don't know because I slave over these audio recordings to make them palatable and fix Brandon's mistakes, is when Brandon really gets into it, sometimes he'll lean back and he'll put his hands behind his head and he'll just hold forth. And it's a perfectly charming thing to do in real life. But when you're supposed to be talking into a microphone, it can make it difficult for the microphone to pick up. But if you want some of the magic that happens, then I've got to have the freedom to do that. What's this? I'm being added by all our listeners. They say less magic. Oh, okay. Well, fine. I'll just glue the microphone to my face. Then I won't even be able to talk because the microphone will be in my mouth. You're gluing it to your mouth? Yeah. Just going to stick it in my mouth. People can just listen to the salivary glands create saliva. All right. Mm. Seems a little extreme to me, but... does to me too. That was kind of gross. I grossed myself out with that image. Yeah. Well, you know who else grossed things out? Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Hey, guys. I'm here too. Hey, uh, hey Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> now that old hey. Brandon has decided to glue a microphone to the inside of his nasty mouth, I'm, I dub the new Brandon. Should I feel bad about that? Yeah. It's kind of a demotion, isn't it? Yeah. It hurts my feelings. So... I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Should we just let regular Brandon be Brandon? Yeah. We can shove him in the closet over there if we need to, but (laughs) (laughs) if he fits. Jake? (laughs) Oh, sorry, guys. I had to pull the microphone out of my mouth. Yo. I don't know. I'm here, guys. Just wanted to remind you that I'm here. Well. I'm always here. You just live in. I live in Nathan's basement. (laughs) It won't let me out. Hey, don't give away the location of Top Secret Studio. Oh, be okay? wait. No. You mean yeah. you live in... That's where I live. I'm blocking it out. He, he lives in Top Secret Studio B. I he lives in Top Secret Studio B. Top yeah, Secret... He sits here all the time. Studio right. B. I never leave. Looking over the cavernous depths of Top Secret Studio B as the bats yeah. flit past his head. He tries yes. to catch them and eat them. Yep. Because I like to... I like caves. Yep. Really wish you hadn't have eaten that bat with the coronavirus. Man, I am patient zero. We're in Wuhan, by the way. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I mean, no, we're, don't, don't we're in. Away. Beep. Beep. Take two. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the booking. My name's Nathan. <laughs> we'll get right to the point today. I've got Brandon right there. Hey. He's fat. He doesn't fit in my closet. Hey. According to Jake, the pastor who's a master of reading. Hey. It's true. And I. I I, I don't know what it has to do with him being fat. Your closet has shelves in it, and I couldn't fit in it, and I don't know. My and Jake's not fat. My no, kids couldn't fit I was in just, it. I was saying two separate thoughts. Oh, okay. Number, the first thought, that makes he's sense. fat. The second thought, he wouldn't fit in my closet. You know what? I forgot to mention in context last time. What's you forget to mention in context Here's what I time. forgets to mention in context. Brandon okay, so tells, to me, tells me. But say something that he wanted to say. Uh, Roald Dahl was so tall. How tall, How tall was, was he, he Brandon? <laughs> when they tried to fit him into the airplanes in the RAF, he had to 
push his knees up into his chest and then his head stuck up a little bit above the windshield. I thought it was funny. And for some reason, I could imagine Jake having that same sort of issue trying to get into one of those airplanes. <laughs> He's taller than me. Yeah, he is taller than Jake. He was 6'6". Six, six. Jake's 5'6". I'm <laughs> <laughs> a little guy. <laughs> Surprisingly, people. Jake is famously basically an Oompa <laughs> And I'm 7'8". Yeah. Around the waist. I don't, I don't even know if that'd be fat. 7'8". 7 foot 8? Yeah. 7 foot 8? Yeah, that'd be pretty fat. <laughs> it'd be huge. pretty big. That'd be pretty big. You know what else is pretty big? Our affection for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl, a book that we will discuss starting after this break. After this break. Hey, everybody. Hey, it's Fat Albert here to tell you to buy Walker Fat Chocolate Albert. Bar. Hey, Brandon. Oh, Fat wow. Albert. Cancel. <laughs> oh. Cancel. We're getting canceled. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. No, no, no. <laughs> this is Fat Alplane, just to be clear. Doing ads and asking Fat Alplane to do them wasn't your best idea, Nathan. Especially since Wonka bars don't really exist. You know that, right? Wanda bars? Wonka. But WandaVision bars. WandaVision bars? Wonka yeah. bars did exist. They did, but they don't anymore. It's true. That is true. Hey, it's Fat Alplanes going across the sky now, reminding us that we have to do baggage check. What baggage do you guys bring to this book? Charlie, I keep wanting to say Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory because so that might be my baggage. What baggage do you guys bring to the magical world of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, starting with you, Jake. I grew up with Willy Wonka in the Charlie... And the Charlie... And yep, the Charlie did Factory. It. You did it. In the we've Charlie Factory. It. I think we've all done we've it. We've all done it. I grew up with Willy Wonka in the Charlie... <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. Slow, Jake. I, I'm very slow. Thank you very much. <laughs> slow, Jake. Yeah. Oh, I, meant, I always... I meant to invite fast Jake, oh. but slow Jake showed up again. I always do. Yeah. I grew up not with Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, but with Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. The Gene Wilder film. Did it. That's right. And did you like said cinematic endeavor? Yeah. Who didn't? Who doesn't? It's fun. And so I grew up with that. And I also saw just, I think, maybe broader rolled doll baggage. I saw that James and the Giant Peach movie mm-hmm. and I hated it. Mm. And I decided I didn't like Roald Dahl. Really. Interesting. But huh. this just, was post your love of Willy Wonka, though. Yeah, but I just decided. Yeah, they Disneyfied that movie, but probably he's just like gross and creepy and weird and stuff. And so I <laughs> thought I just probably don't like this guy. I'm not really going to bother with anything that's Roald Dahlish. Have you seen the BFG? I have. It's a good movie. Have you seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox? I have. It's a good movie. But I've only seen those movies in the last couple of years. Have you seen either the Robert Zemeckis or Nicholas Rugg, The Witches? No. Uh, there's probably other Roald Dahl property. Have you seen, seen the Danny DeVito Matilda movie? No. Well, there you go. Yeah, I've only seen the BFG and Fantastic Mr. Fox in the last couple of years. There you go. And so, yeah, and I like both those movies. They're good movies. So I came to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prepared to ask why we would read this book and not watch the Gene Wilder movie. Mm-hmm. And spoilers? I think we better it? hold the answer okay. so people right. will listen through the rest of the baggage. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, so, bum. Yeah, that's the baggage I brought. I, I came prepared not to like or to not be excited about Roald Dahl. I mean, you also knew it's like 200 words long, so what was it going to really accomplish that the movie, like, right. might as well just read the screenplay for the movie and take about as much time. Right. Or just watch the movie yep brandon 
Same question. Your baggage, sir? Yeah. Jake stole my baggage. So there you go. He did? Pretty that much. That's my baggage. Can't fit in any of those clothes, though. Yeah, no. They're pretty baggy on him. He puts the baggy in baggage when he wears my clothes. You could make make some tents. You could (laughs) spread them out. Maybe have a balloon or... You know, a lot of stuff. I thought I teed you up to say that they'd be too tight for me, but, you know. Oh, yeah, I should have. (laughs) That would have been better. Uh, But go ahead. Lean into the fat. Yeah, so. (laughs) Lean into the fat. Lean into it and you'll bounce right off. Yeah, you just tend to get absorbed. Like the blob. What am I saying? (laughs) I don't know. Don't (laughs) talk about, you're not the blob though. Don't talk about yourself that way. Uh, It's uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I grew up with that movie. It was a kid the same time I was. <laughs> you played together? Oh, yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we watched that a lot at my grandmother's house. It was one of her favorite movies to show us. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that, but yeah, it would always be on at her house. And so I loved it. It was a great, it was, it was great. It shaped my childhood in many ways as far as the, my s- cinema experience in childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a better way to say that, but anyways, <laughs> I'm not going to think of a better way to say it. Let's just examine the sentence. It shaped, it shaped my childhood in many ways in terms of the cinema experience of my childhood. That's <laughs> uh, fine. I think that's the perfect way. <laughs> I, think, I think Proust probably would have said that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any way to improve that sentence. I did like James and the Giant Peach as a kid. <laughs> I don't know if that says good things or bad things. Smeg on Jake's face now. (laughs) No, I'm not sure. I did like it. I thought it was weird. That's about all I have to say about it. I was never a fan of that sort of stop motion. Yeah, I think that's what I liked is it was right around the time where I wasn't allowed to watch A Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I think I felt that that was the closest I was going to get. Yeah, was being and, and that stuff that. never appealed to me anyway. Yeah. And just the like weird random creepiness of it. Just like, uh, who needs this? I liked Wes Anderson in college, so I saw the Fantastic Mr. Fox in the theater, I think. Nice. But my impression of Roald Dahl was that he would just be kind of like popcorn. And so I never read him. I never felt a need to. I was like, he's probably fine just watching the movies. And I was really worried going to him this time that he would not live up to, he would live down to my expectations. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll find, out. find out. My baggage is I had read Roald Dahl. I remember having a really fun experience with this movie. You know how you kind of know movies? Like you, you sort of know, I, I remember like I knew Darth Vader was Luke's father before I saw the movie. Like Certain movies just have cultural cachet you sort of know who mary poppins is before you see it kind of thing this was a movie that i just remember seeing at a young age and i have a really distinct memory of watching it for the first time and not just not knowing it not knowing where it was going and i think i was maybe actually even 11 or 12 old enough to be aware of the fact that i was kind of watching something special and that gene wilder was doing something really Mm -hmm. special and to sort of have the delight of seeing where the story was going once mm-hmm. that first kid gets it you're like oh now I, I'm in the countdown. I see what we're doing and it's actually really fun I love those kinds that's some of the best kind of storytelling I think where it's it's not a matter of what but it's a matter of how you set up all these these thoroughly nasty characters and they need to be dispatched and you're just waiting to waiting for the axe to fall and it was really sweet and Gene Wilder was really great and I just remember I, th- I think it was my brothers were watching the movie and maybe, I don't know, maybe I was nine or 10. I don't know exactly how old I was, but I was just old enough that oh, I was it like, it feels late. Yeah. Maybe somehow it just wasn't part of my really young childhood, but mm-hmm. it was perfect because I was like, I don't want to watch this boring kid kids movie. movie. This is for babies. And then 
I just had the delight of discovering this thing was kind of dark and cynical and but really sweet in a way it was dark and cynical enough that I could accept the sweetness and not feel like I was being pandered to or like I was a little kid it was Mm kind of creepy it had a chicken get its head cut off in that weird tunnel scene tunnel scene and all kinds of weird (laughs) psychedelic (laughs) stuff and I just say that movie's such a touchstone for me as I know it is for everyone i mean i must say strike that reverse it which is actually a line from the book charlie in the glass elevator but gene wilder says it in the movie i must say that once a month or something like that if Mm -hmm. i if i mangle my words i say strike that reverse it yeah so it's just one of those movies that i really really just imprinted deeply saw it at exactly the same time the, the right time really love it i loved it so much that now if i go back and watch it it seems comparatively small because it was so big in my imagination Mm -hmm. when they go into that chocolate room with all the where he sings pure imagination it i I just remember it being so big and wonderful and actually it's it looks like a factory room with some prop there's like a brick wall on the back but i never noticed that it felt so yeah it felt like such a thoroughly imagined world and it really seized my imagination and gene wilder's just a a perfect performer for someone of my temperament and age at that time He's well, on your lang- wavelength, speaking your language. He's is so, just a special performer in general. Yeah, he was just so funny and so fun and so... Should have got him for that. Ready Player One. Yep. Yeah, I think he was... Brandon's favorite. He was in the late stages of dementia, yeah. as were we all. I Spielberg would have loved it. He wanted to work with Gene Wilder. Yeah, he never got his chance, which is yeah. sad. But so, so I love that movie. I'm sorry to hear that Raul Dahl didn't like it. I actually think in spirit, it's a better adaptation than the Tim Burton thing. The Tim Burton thing gets a lot of stuff right that, in terms of fidelity to the book that the the gene wilder thing doesn't but i think the gene wilder thing is actually darker and more accurate to the the book's tone i think to the spirit of the book to the spirit of the book i mean it's a little schmaltzy at the end i guess compared to doll with do you know what happens charlie when you get everything you ever wanted to the boy who got everything he ever wanted you live happily ever after let's hug as the pure imagination and he doesn't have to give charlie those tests. He doesn't have any tests for Charlie. Yeah, the last test with Slugworth in the movie is... And the, they just pass by the gas room or whatever, the bubble room. Yeah, but that stuff, I think, really adds to the story. I like that stuff in, yeah. the, in the Gene Wilder movie. The fact that Charlie actually messes up and the fact that Charlie actually actively gets to pass a test as opposed to just passively... Slide through. Sliding yeah, through. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Roald Dahl just kind of describes Charlie as being a good boy. But doesn't really show you the things he does other than not being one of these bad kids. Right. And yet. But in the movie, Tim Burton's movie even, he decides that he hears these offers. And so when he gets home, he's like, no, we need to sell this ticket. Right. Right. People were offering me lots of money. We need to sell the ticket. And his family has to then convince him not to. But that's not in the book. That's not in this book at all. I have sympathy for both screenwriters. You sort of want your protagonist to have some active part in the story as opposed to just. Yeah walking through the story and not really doing anything but be a it works. dickensian cipher the what is it be a dickensian cipher yeah i think that in a story like this where you have a strong narrative voice like Roald dolls where that's part of the entertainment is just yeah. having him tell you the story yeah there's an implicit trust that yes if he tells me charlie's a good boy i'm just going to trust him mm-hmm. that it doesn't work in film that way right yeah the film has to prove that he's a good boy yeah well so and think- if you start doing the things that charlie does which is Find a bunch of money on the ground and go buy and binge three or four chocolate bars. Yeah. You got to really sell that to an audience. That's hard. That's hard to sell on screen. Yeah. Yeah, It's It's hard to sell in the book, but you you have 
so much more control over how the audience is perceiving. Yeah. Yeah, because even in the book, you're like, well, isn't this the same boy that was supposed to cherish each bite of his chocolate for a month? Mm -hmm. And here he is binging, but... But he was also starving, and you yeah. can describe him as being a uh, walking skeleton in yeah. a way that you can't depict on screen. I think it's I think it's uh, Roald Dahl having just a natural sympathy towards the weakness of children. Here mm -hmm. he is. He's a good boy, but he's still a, a boy. And he's starving, and yeah. he has to walk by the stupid chocolate factory every day and smell it while he starves to death. Mm -hmm. And he also, to be fair to him, says that when he's done eating... When he's done, he's going to take the rest and give it to his mother, right? The yep, rest of the change. Right. Well, and he has, yeah, he has him find enough money that it, it he can buy three chocolate bars. It's yeah. well, back then it was just a dollar, right? I guess each each candy bar was only ten cents. Yeah. So to make it more believable, Tim Burton has ten dollars. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think each one of the movies does it's does the fake out in its own way. I remember. I think is it the original where. They really play up the fact that someone fake fake found a ticket, and we have to spend a whole scene where Charlie's sad because the fifth one was found, and then it's both. I think, yep. yeah, they. But that wasn't in this book at all, right? It, he mentions it in passing when he's yeah. just doing the little. He's just describing everything that happened. There's the scientist that accidentally pulls the fillings out of the Duchess's teeth, and there's all that stuff. But anyway, we can talk about that to finish my baggage real quick. I after that, so I would have been ten, eleven, twelve. Read some Roald Dahl. And really loved it. It was right on my wavelength. It was dark and rebellious, but in a fun, comfortable, comforting way, fairy tale kind of a way. The Witches was a particular favorite of mine, just because I don't know if you guys know that story, but I don't. It's really dark. The, the Witches like to turn children into mice and then eat them. And the boy gets turned into a mouse and then he met through a series of unfortunate events and hijinks and stuff. He manages to get the witch to get, get the whole coven of witches that's meeting at this hotel for their witches conference to drink their own potion. So they all turn into mice and then the hotel concierge is just beating the witches to death as mice. And then, and then the boy is a witch or no, no, no I'm sorry. The boy is a mouse and he doesn't get turned back. What's, what's really striking, especially for a kid reading it is the boy doesn't get turned back at the end and his lifespan is very short because he's a mouse. So the book just ends like, ah, he's going to die soon, but because his beloved grandmother is his caretaker and she's going to die too soon too. I guess it's, I guess it all works out like Rob Dahl. That's literally the last sentence of the book is something like, wow, he was okay with it because he would live out the last years of his life with his grandma and they would go around Europe finding more witches and changing them into mice so they could be destroyed. So just a really bizarre, huh. fun, willing to walk the line of being just dark enough to be fun and provocative, but not something that your parents would think to take away from you. Hmm. So yeah, really loved Roald Dahl. There you go. I, I never read the Wonka books though, weirdly enough. So, huh. but I knew that this was probably going to be good. So you had no worries. I didn't have any worries. I also didn't know if it would do anything that the Gene Wilder movie hadn't thoroughly done for me 20 years ago or 25 years ago or whenever I first saw it. So anyway, that's my baggage. But I guess now we have to say what we thought of the book. So what did you guys think about the, the book? I really, really loved it. Yeah. Thought it was really special. And <clears throat> I, I just, I love the whimsy and the magic of it all. And it was just really well told and a fun ride. And yep. 
I was excited enough about it when I was done that I wanted my kids to read it and yes. really wanted Ian to read it, but he wasn't all that interested, but Abe read it in an afternoon and nice. loved it and yeah. Yep. Yeah, I read it and I wanted to see if I had other old doll books so they could all be ready for the kids to read Yeah, and encourage Jack, my boy who's at the age where I think he'd really love it to read it. So right now he's in the middle of something else, but- yeah, Ian was too. Wing Feather Saga or something? Bye. No. Ian's reading The Hobbit. Yeah. Well, Ian is the superior child. <laughs> let's, let's, let's face it. Ian wins. <laughs> no offense, Andrew Peterson fans. But yeah, and one thing I loved about it is, like what Jake said, it's really well told. And I think that Roald, the winner here is Roald Dahl. He's just an amazing storyteller. Yeah. And he helped me realize, like, part of the fun of Grimm's fairy tales is, yes, you know, you have some moral to it and- there are the characters you can relate to like Jack and the giant, but part of it is just that it's a fun story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of the joy of that is just when you get a story like that, it doesn't have to like mix in any trying to be symbolic or something for the child right. in, a, in a difficult way, even though that's great to have. Uh, it's, it just tells a story. It has some just basic morality to it. Mm -hmm. And that gets an amazing story out of it because he tells it so well. Yeah. And it's just part of the pleasure of it is just really, Part of enjoying fiction can just be that sometimes. It's mm -hmm. just, it's a pleasure. It's something that God gave us to enjoy. And I think a well-told children's story like this just shows us that that's not a bad thing. Sometimes yeah. that's just part of it. It's just having fun listening to and hearing, listening to and telling a story like that. But, you know, here are five kids that you don't want to be like, and they're yeah. really obnoxious and exaggerated and they have ridiculous names and they all get punished in yeah. appropriate ways that are... Uh, appropriate to the story yeah. ways that are funny and you know they deserve it mm -hmm. yeah it should and be no surprise that a lot of his stories like this started with him telling his children these stories nah, they yeah. were always his like guinea pigs mm -hmm. and he would test out these ideas on them and he would keep what they liked he would get rid of what they didn't like and yeah i mean he so go back to context and listen to that if you want to know more about his family life but yeah well one thing that this book gets that i'm not sure i've seen many other children books get as well is Children love the schadenfreude of another bad kid yeah. getting punished. It's it's super fun to see these bad kids get theirs. Yeah. Especially- Which, if, you know, may not be the most moral thing for a children's author to play into. But. No, but I think he does it. I think he doesn't step over the line into pure schadenfreude. Or I know, I know we, Brandon said in our context last time, one of his dictums of children's writing is revenge is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. But I like how he does it in this book. I, I don't necessarily like, actually, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with Matilda, for example, where she develops telekinesis and she's just like making like her Carrie. teacher float. Yeah, yeah, she's it's like Carrie Jr., her teacher's yeah. being thrown all over the place and stuff. But in this particular case, all the bad kids bring their punishment upon themselves, which I yeah. think makes a big difference. Yeah. And you can sort of see, especially the way that Gene Wilder plays it, but even in the book, you can no, kind of- No, stop. No, oh. stop. I mean, in the book, in the movie, it feels much more like Gene Wilder wasn't just setting out to get, to find a good kid. He was setting out to punish yeah, it, five bad kids. <laughs> the The book leaves that a little bit more ambiguous. No, I still think yeah. the book has it there that like he might have known that these things <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. were going to happen. In the Tim Burton movie, when the one the one of the dads says about the Oompa Loompa songs, that almost seems rehearsed. And Wonka gives this ambiguous face, like but maybe it was. Why would you say that? Yeah. You know, the Tim Burton movie, one of the mistakes of that awful performance of Johnny Depp is that it is too passive aggressive. 
and yeah. just too nasty. It, it feels you definitely believe that Johnny Depp really doesn't even care about Charlie Bucket. What he wants to do is find five nasty kids and spoil kids who didn't have the childhood that he did. Right. They had Awful. to do the new Hollywood trend towards explaining everybody's backstory. Oh, yeah, because Willy Wonka's father was a dentist who that's a little yeah. lamer. Yeah. <laughs> and then he can't accept parents. And so at first he doesn't want to bring Charlie's parents and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was stupid. That was that movie was a disappointment. I mean, of course it was because late era Tim Burton is always disappointing. But the first act of that movie is really good once they before they get to Willy Wonka himself. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well. It could have been so much more. It could have been so much more. The source material was good. Yeah. Should have been more. Well, I really liked the first act of this book is awesome in the book, particularly when he was just evoking Char- Charlie's poorness and the hunger of the family. And mm-hmm. he actually, I, I didn't cry or anything, but he rang some genuine emotion. Cabbage soup. The cabbage soup. That was the that was the thing that Ape said afterwards. He really hated that yeah. the idea that you could see their ribs and mm-hmm. just how evocative. Yeah. He didn't use the word evocative, but he was just like, there's clearly really sad and painful to him getting through that first third. Yeah. And Dahl knows exactly how long to keep it going and how much to milk it. And he doesn't make you wallow in it, but there's enough. It was, that part was actually so good that once we got to the factory, I was a little disappointed. And I think maybe in, even in the adaptations, I've always felt this a little bit. You lose sight of Charlie a little bit. And it does just become <laughs> the slasher yeah. movie part of it. Except I think that... Doll tries to keep it in there a bit, like when they get in the candy boat. Mm-hmm. Wonka intentionally, I think, sits beside Charlie and his grandfather and gives him a drink. Yeah, chocolate. that was that was sweet. So yeah. Uh, to, to return to your point, Brandon, the other thing that really stuck out to me about this book is it is very well told, and it just it's so hard to do this kind of writing. Well, I remember when me and Jake were trying to edit, various people were we we had various people working on a article for children in our old 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 version of the warhorn magazine many many years ago now and people would try and write in this i'm talking directly to you now kiddos tone and it was so easy to be condescending it was so easy to be fake twee whimsical kind of garbage yeah it was it was what was really hard was to create any kind of tone where you were just talking to kids directly and being sweet and being real and like it's, it's it's actually it's a neat trick yeah and that's most of what i think makes this book work for kids actually it's not i mean the story is great and this is the best of the raw doll stories it, it i think is. as much as you don't really care one way or another about the morality of it all as much as it is just fun i think having the little moral point to it well, that, that helps it helps sure. it, it makes it more yeah. emotionally resonant mm-hmm. and real and you like the fact that charlie actually gets something good at the end and it just feels sweet and everything and it's because of what he's done that's right and it's because of what he's done right i think james and the giant peach has a little bit of that too right maybe a little bit well it's always a poor abused kid like james yeah. has these nasty ants and they're mean to him and then the peach grows but then the peach grows and it rolls and it crushes the ants to death and then James, which I don't think happens in the movie, actually. I think they survive. But in the book, the peach just rolls over them and they're dead. And so it it feels more like a cruel. Yeah. It's not like the ants made the peach or were devising the peach or were using the peach or had a plan to get James with. Like, there's nothing. It's just like, oh, life is cruel. And sometimes it takes out 
peaches take out bad guys as well. They end up coming back at the end of the movie and they're, I think they're end up, they get killed by the rhinoceros. Yeah, probably. I I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. But yeah, it feels much more arbitrary. Life feels much more cruel in some of the other Roald Dahl books and some of the humor is more kind of absurdist stuff that I like, but yeah, not, it doesn't have the same anchor to it as. Yeah. There's an element that he got right in this book that was missing in the other ones. Yeah. I, I think that that's well, fair I'm to glad say. that we read this one then. I think, yeah, I think we picked the right one, but I, I don't know that I would stop. I, I would be happy for my kids to, when they're old enough, read yeah. my, my child that's on the way right now to read Roald Dahl. I, I think yeah. he's, he's fun. I mean, he's got that whimsy that's especially appealing to children where it doesn't feel like he's like, it's not a part of my problem with someone like Jeff, Shel Silverstein, for example, is that he's either grotesque or he goes into the whimsical and almost in an absurdist fashion that's seems like he's trying too hard at times. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But like Wonk, Roald Dahl can tell that imaginary land where he goes and gets the Oompa Loompas. And it doesn't sound like it's, like you said, condescending. It's just sound like he's having just as much fun as the kids. Yeah. And he's doing it. That's really natural. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got a really good natural voice for children. Yeah. So yeah. It, it doesn't break it. He doesn't. It never seems like he's trying too hard. Yeah. To me, I mean, just in terms of voice and style, E.B. White's the only person you can compare him to. Yeah. That we've read so far mm-hmm. on, on this show, at least. Because he chose well, Doll, Doll's the only person who can live up to E.B. White just in terms of style and voice. He's clean. Mm-hmm. He's straightforward. But he's also interesting. He's not embarrassed to use, well, like, for example... Charlie Bucket stared around the gigantic room in which he now found himself. The place was like a witch's kitchen. All about him, black metal pots were boiling and bubbling on huge stoves, and kettles were hissing and pans were sizzling, and strange iron machines were clanking and spluttering. So he uses evocative language, but it's also, on a child's level, they can understand it. But it also then, at the same time, doesn't sound condescending. Right? Yeah. It's just, he's got that je ne sais quoi mm-hmm. that just yeah. makes it magical. Well, I think a lot of it is actually... It's it's understatement. He knows how to let the humor and the grotesque stuff creep up on the story instead of it feel like he's an impresario who's presenting it and rubbing your face and look at how grotesque all these kids are. It doesn't really feel like that. It just feels like, well, there happened to be this kid and I guess I have to introduce him now. His name was Augustus Gloop and yeah. he was fat and stupid. But it's not, the the bad version of this always feels like it's, showing off and yeah. rubbing your nose in exactly how these characters are. Yeah. It wants you to see how hard it's trying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with like a lot of modern, especially children's authors. They really want you to see how hard they're working to be cute. And mm-hmm. did you see how cute and whimsical that line was? Did you see how much that line evoked Lewis mm-hmm. or Tolkien or something mm-hmm. like that? And that's like, they're never just writing to the kid. They're writing with an eye towards you and trying to signal to you that they're in the same class as a Lewis or a Tolkien or something like that. Yeah. And I just, I'm always turned off by that sort of thing. Well, not to reopen uh, an old wound, but it was our one of our criticisms of a certain author who I won't mention who wrote about a bear and a pig and a donkey and oh. a rabbit and stuff like that. You can, I don't mind winks to adults, but. Well, in that guy's case, he's wonderful at winking to adults. He's just not that. Interested in writing to children. Right. Precisely. And. But he writes stuff that's great to 
read as an adult. Yeah, it's really fun and clever and funny as an adult. But I mean, if you think of Pixar as a case study, you know, not the like Pixar, at least especially earlier Pixar did a good job of just telling a fun story in a way that was enjoyable for kids and adults alike. And kids liked it and it wasn't condescending. And, you know, there was, you know, maybe some some jokes or whatever, some nods to adults, but really you don't enjoy it on the level of adult. You enjoy it on the level of this is a good, sweet, sincere, Mm -hmm. fun story. Mm -hmm. And the laughs here are universal, you know, that sort of thing. It has actual good jokes. It's not Shrek, you know. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. Yeah. Who needs Shrek? Who needs Shrek? That's for sure. I, as you were talking, Jake, I was thinking, because you were saying this book works on a universal level like Pixar, of all the children's books we've read, let's see, Winnie the Pooh, Jungle Book, E.B. White, Trump, or Charlotte's Web and Trumpet of the Swan, uh, Boys of Blur. What else have we read that's... Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time. Johnny Tremaine. Johnny Tremaine. I would say most of those books, even the better ones... I've had to adjust my brain. Like, oh, you're reading a book for kids, so level down a little bit, Nathan. Yeah, yeah. Even even some of the better ones. Even dare I say it, Trumpet of the Swan. Yeah, as wonderful as the E. B. White is. Yeah. But the the only books, the only two that I can think of out of that list that I didn't have to adjust down or make allowances for, or say I get what it was doing, but it's not for me. Take it on its own terms and enjoy it, start to finish. There are only two. Yeah, Charlotte's Web and. Charlie. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which means this is in a rare class of its own. It really really is. is. Yeah. Wow. You're welcome, real doll. Yeah, really. I mean, I think, okay, so we also read Narnia. I would say at its best, Narnia gets here. At its worst, Narnia can be a little twee sometimes. Yeah. It's truly great. Yeah, it is great. The the Hobbit, if you want to throw the Hobbit in there. Oh, sure. Yeah, the Hobbit is a masterpiece. The Hobbit ranks up there with that. I mean, that, yeah. But he's in rare company. I I don't think of this... The Hobbit doesn't, f- yeah, it's in its own other category here. Yeah. The Hobbit is like a family book, maybe. I don't know if it's quite a children's book even, but yeah. Uh, it's just kind of a book book. It's just a book. Yeah. yeah. As far as books that are definitely, you would only ever find them in the children's section of your bookstore or library. Yeah. Some children, young adult, youth yeah. section. Yeah. It's Doll and. Doll and Webb. Yeah. Not even Doll and White. It's Doll and Webb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty good company yeah charlie and charlotte yeah if yeah. i if i could choose two of these books for my kids to read two charlie's those two yeah 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 he's just a really I, good i've just not been Sorry. as excited of, about finishing a book and wanting my kids to read it and, uh, since charlotte's web and and, well that, and what and it tr- probably does make and i've not had a book that i just want influencing my kids creatively mm-hmm. yeah like that's why the first thing i thought when i got done was i Ian needs to read this book because this should be a shaping influence in Ian's creative life. Ian's just, that all, all my kids have their creative sides, but Ian's one of the more just artsy, I think he might have it in him to to do something literary or creative like that someday. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, Ian needs to read this guy. Yeah, Ian sure. needs to cut his teeth on this guy. He needs to have yep. this capture his imagination and be in the back of his brain from a young age, the way that he... I mean, he's the kind of kid that like you'll catch him getting Alexa to play comedians and he'll be studying comic timing like yeah. 
replaying things and repeating it and memorizing the punchlines and trying to imitate the comedic timing or, you know, paying attention to how the the music works and where it hits and replaying, listening to uh, the soundtrack of a movie and replaying the movie in his mind so that he can see how the score hits and hmm. like he just cares and he listens and he pays attention to that sort of thing. It's like he needs to do that kind of thing with this book. Yeah. He needs the basic structure and the rhythms of this book for sure. Yeah. Well, and what a trick given that we all know this story. We all know the kids. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know the punishments. We know there's like every detail of this story is something that we all had not just knew, but had thoroughly digested and seen memes and pop culture has been digesting this and parodying this now for 40 years, 50 years, whatever it's been since the Gene Wilder. Like, yep. this is like reading The Christmas Carol how, how or something is, like that. How is Dolls Willy Wonka going to transcend Gene Wilder's performance? How is any of it going to yeah. mean anything or matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this should be as boring as going to, I don't, I don't know what the analogy is, but going back and reading one of those things that's influenced on all the things that you like and realizing, oh, well, I don't really need this because it's been so so thoroughly digested and regurgitated that I don't need it. You know, I mean, I'll, okay, I'll be honest. I'd rather watch George C. Scott than read Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol at this point in my life. Same. Brennan probably wouldn't be willing to go that far. I wouldn't be willing to go that far. But... Dickens apologist. Yeah. As am I. You are too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not. I know you're not yet. <laughs> Just wait till the two cities is going to win you over. Yep. No. So, the, so the fact that we were even we even had any patience for this book not not only that we had patience for it but that we all really loved it is is really quite the testament to Dahl's genius. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And I would say the yeah. components actually don't measure up. Like this Willy Wonka isn't as good as Gene Wilder. I love Gene Wilder, but the book just as its own thing just works. It yeah. just works. It more than yeah. measures up. Yep. And probably everything else besides Gene Wilder is better. I don't know. This is having singing in it, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I miss the Oompa Loompa song. Although the poems that Dahl wrote were hilarious. They're great. They are. Yeah. This book actually, I mean, probably in the history of the book and in all the books we've read, I've probably LOL'd while reading a book or listening to a book, I don't know, maybe three times. Or you don't just sit by yourself and read even Jane Austen or something that's witty. Like you'll be like, oh yeah, that was clever. Get him, Jane. But rarely. I mean, Jane Austen's done it. She's made me LOL. She'd be the, maybe the, one of the only ones I could think of that's actually done it. But this one, actually, there was a couple punchlines, especially to those poems. I don't remember which ones where you'd just be so cutting about the kids. Yep. And it would be, it'd be really funny. So, yeah. Better than Rudyard Jipling. Yeah. Get him, Nathan. Crudyard. Wow. Jerkling. Uh-huh. Is that there? No. <laughs> I like Ricky Ticky Tabby's one of my favorite stories of all time. Yeah. But yeah. oh boy. Well, let's see. What else do we need to litigate about this book? Favorite character death. <laughs> Favorite character death. I think Slugworth. 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 Nobody dies. So you might yeah, as well just dies. imagine the death of Slugworth. <laughs> the death of Slugworth. Yeah. <laughs> He's in Willy Wonka's basement. I I like I like what happens to the salts. Well, it's easy. I, I think probably everyone's answer is the salts because she's the most realistically bad kid. And what's also interesting the one that you're actually the most, like Violet the best where she turns yeah. into a, you're turning Violet, Violet. Yeah. A blueberry. Yeah. Well, I think in, it's, in the book, I like, uh, 
in the book, I like Violet's best, but in the movie, Frucasalt's always the best. I mean, she's always played up as such a well. She's drama such queen. a brat, and she's you know she's up there dancing around and twirling around golden eggs or yeah. I want it now. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is. She gets the best kids song for sure. Yeah. I, I realize that the. Johnny Depp movie sort of did this, but I do love the violence in the book with which she's dispatched. The squirrels. The squirrels just take her down. Drag her away. Drag her away. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty fun. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what's interesting about that part of the book is, and this shows where old doll, I think entering in a little bit into the justice of the story is she's the only, she's the only one who has a family that's judged Mm -hmm. completely too. They're all pushed down there with her. Right. Yeah. Well, and then to make sure we get the point, the Oompa Loompas, tell us ah really it was her parents fault for yeah. spoiling so, her yeah so the other parents they don't have to turn into blueberries or get sucked up pipes <laughs> <laughs> well i also i i love the idiosyncratic nature of Roald Dahl's personal grudge moral grudges like he hates tv obviously that's a yeah. personal thing I love with that. him i love how much he hates chewing gum that's actually why i go with violet yeah. i just really love the fact that he hates chewing gum and smacking and chomping and yeah because i do too <laughs> yeah uh, i wasn't gonna say it but, uh, <laughs> no but it's like rotting your brain with tv yeah, like he speaks he speaks my heart when he talks about how vile and disgusting a habit chewing gum is to him Dude. being a spoiled brat or a glutton is just as bad as, <laughs> as chewing, chewing too much gum getting, like jaw muscles that make you look like you're a violin oh and then he tells the poem and the, they sing the song about the woman that chews off her own tongue <laughs> yeah <laughs> There are a couple of parts that go pretty dark in the, oh, yeah, in the poems, really especially. Dark, yeah. But nothing's as dark as Gene Wilder singing some psychedelic song while a chicken's head is cut off <laughs> no, and ants are squirming over some that's, corpse's that's face. Or... Dark. <laughs> no way of knowing just how fast that we are going. Shows no signs of slowing. <laughs> yeah, really. uh, yeah, I think people have over. I know that's the whole joke, you know, you watch an episode of the Simpsons or something like that and they'll do their own. I think everybody now has done their own Willy Wonka parody where he's just a mass murderer who lures people into his factory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically. And the joke is that that's what it was in doll all along, but I really don't think the, the story actually doesn't come across that way. It doesn't come across that sinister. It's sadistic. No, yeah. the, the kids really just bring it on themselves because. Yeah. That's, it's got that fairy tale quality to it. It really does. And I, to return to what I was saying about schadenfreude, I don't know. I mean, do you guys think that this this book actually, if you're going to say anything neg- negative about it, do you think it actually feeds revenge in children that much? No, so I, I think it works more like cautionary tales. Yeah, like you exa- find yeah, in, exactly. in the fairy tale. It doesn't feel like revenge. It feels like... Well, especially since he's drawing on pretty common things that children can relate to. Mm-hmm eating too much candy, watching TV, these sorts of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It definitely felt like cautionary tales to me. It's like. Yeah. If anything, if there is, I think the feeling of satisfaction that you get when the kids get it is more, it's not so much like, yeah, she deserved it or he deserved it. it. It's more just like, isn't it satisfying to exist in a universe where you don't get away with that stuff? Isn't it? Isn't it just. Just nice. And it has kind of that fairy tale logic to it. So I think but, it's fine. And it's not even ultimately fairy tale logic. It is the the things that you won't discipline in yourself that ultimately bring you down. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. One way or another. 
And so it's heightened, it's hyperbolic, whatever. But it's true life in that sense. And sure, Wonka probably chose the rooms because he knew that's what was going to tempt the kids. <laughs> but <laughs> we can only speculate. <laughs> and I think that it's best left that way. Yeah. You have a, a kid that can't say no to themselves. And so as a kid, it's chocolate or it's whatever. I want it now. Yeah. Give me the golden egg, whatever. And eventually, they'll be taken down by the fact that they've never learned, been taught to have any kind of self-control, say no to themselves. And so, you know, it'll be porn and then it'll move on to other things or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think also what he taps into is that any good storyteller who's telling like magical whimsy and stuff like that also realizes that it's dangerous Mm -hmm. and that a child who has no self-control is going to end up if, so if if Veruca Salt didn't fall down with the squirrel, she was going to get herself in trouble somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It was just, a, it was a matter of time. So. Well, but I think modern storytellers, like J- old Joe Rawling sometimes, I don't understand is that I think kids really appreciate that. They want the moral grammar of the stories to be clear because they want to make sense of the world. And so they want to sort things into categories. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to say, Charlie Good, Veruca Bad, and to see the natural outcomes of, the, of those two things is really satisfying to a kid. And actually, if you let Veruca off the hook, if you let Augustus off the hook, there's something that feels weird and dangerous. And like, then the universe doesn't make sense. And it's actually an unsatisfying. I guess the closest she got to that was with Crab and Goyle. Don't want them like fall into the <laughs> consuming fires. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of them did. So. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think you like the... You like the clear cut categories. I mean, that's why Grimm's fairy tales work. So it's like, this brother was good and good things happen. This brother was bad and bad things happen to him. Now the universe makes sense. Yep. Even though th- those are spectacularly violent. But I don't know. It'd be fun to be fun to read and litigate old Grimm's fairy tales. One of these days. One of these days. So Jake's favorite child death was Violet Beauregard. Brandon? I said Veruca Salt. Veruca Salt. I do like the violence with which those squirrels go after her. Yeah. Squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. Squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. Welcome, listener. I don't know. I kind of like Augustus Gloop. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> he gets stuck in that tube. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Augustus Gloop is the one that in some ways, well, maybe they all feel mean, but. Gus's Gloop is just like he was a dumb fat kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just it does feel the most mean. He wanted to eat the he wanted to eat everything, so he fell in the chocolate river and then got sucked up the fat pipe and yeah. stuck in it. <laughs> and he was too fat to make it through the pipe. Yeah, <laughs> and all Wonka cares about is him contaminating his chocolate. <laughs> I don't know. Willy Wonka in the book does seem less sinister than any of the movie versions. He, he does actually genuinely seem like he's like, no, don't do it, kid. Like in Gene Wilder, actually has the moment where he's like. No, stop. I mean, isn't that actually yeah. a quote from the yeah. the movie? But this Willy Wonka seems like he actually doesn't want the kids to get hurt. He's And he still gives them chocolate at the end. So yeah. they, they all learn a chocolate valuable lesson. And Mike TV is going to be a basketball player. And yeah, it's a great story. It's fantastic. They take that great glass elevator to get the old people. Roald Dahl does have an interesting relationship with old people that is... Yeah, maybe the only other thing that was striking to me. He's he's not afraid to make the old people into his grotesques. I don't know if I have a problem with that. It's kind of the way a kid might look at a ninety-year-old. Yeah, 
The illustrations are interesting too. In you book. know, I have to admit, I listened to it. So, oh, this Quentin Blake. It's, yeah, here, one, take a look. Oh yeah, these are the I these are the I illustrations that are always in, like, used. Yeah, yeah, I'm used to this style. It's sure. kind of that a uh, whimsical, grotesque mm-hmm. art. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, so I think he chose the right illustrator to go with his books. Faux show. So. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, look up Quentin Blake, Roald Dahl. Should not take you long. Yeah. Kind of a sketch quality to them. Mm-hmm. Like a New Yorker Almost cartoon. Almost a New Yorker cartoon. That's yeah. what I was going to say, too. That is actually what they've That's why I held up this one. I bet anything he was. He did New Yorker cartoons, probably. I'm surprised. I bet me. you're right. Let's find out. Look it up. Do, 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 do. Is that Augustus? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. He's still alive. Wow. His first drawings were published in Punch when he was 16. He wrote drawing for The Spectator, known for his collaborations with Roald Dahl. He drew for Punch? Mm-hmm. When I think of Punch, I think of it like as an 18th century institution. Is Punch still, still around in the 1900s? It may still be around. So he, he illustrated 18 of Roald Dahl's books. Nice. So the squirrel's going after Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Salt. Salt. Yep. They're great illustrations, yeah. Oh, by the way, I was trying to remember, in the book... Both parents, with the exception of Charlie, everybody gets their full set of parents. Is that true of the movies? No. All the movies just have one parent. One representative yeah. parent. Just makes it simpler to keep track of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not really a good reason to have both Mr. and Mrs. Salt there. I don't know. Still trying to there are out. articles on him in The New Yorker. That's how big of a deal he is. He's really good. Yeah. He's a talented man. Oh, that's the... Kids walking that's home. That's the kids walking away. Oh, and um, is that... Mike. Mike at the back there. Mom and dad and Veruca. Nice. Mr. Mrs. Salt and Veruca. Violet. And Augustus. There you go. Augustus is awfully skinny. He must have had to. Well, he got stuck in that. Didn't they say he was skinny by the end? Wasn't yeah, there some. Because he had to wait was... for his. To get thin to get shot through. Is that what? Or I just flattened the, him the out. The pipes were so narrow that they narrowed him out as he went oh. through. So, yeah. Everybody uh, came out a winner. Everyone wins. Well, poor Violet stays blue. Poor, poor, poor Violet stays blue. All right. Well, is this? It sounds like this is going to the top of the children's books read on the book. I mean, Charlotte's Web obviously is still the winner, and will I assume so, never yeah. be knocked off the mountain. But it sounds like this is like standing right one rung below it, right there. It's the vice president. Mm-hmm. It's the vice president of of that mountain, children's book mountain. Yep. Nice. It's great. You're welcome. No. Thank you, Roald Dahl. <laughs> You're welcome, Roald Dahl. <laughs> Glad we could do you a favor. Recommend your book. Hope don't it sells those. a lot of copies. Don't eat those well, eggs. Well, now. Yeah. Don't. No. And Roald Dahl, do not eat those eggs. Never. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Cool. What's number three? Just as long as we're keeping tra- tabs. What are the three? Tabby. Just Ricky Tiki Tabby. I think that's right. Yeah. So. What can you... Johnny Tremaine? I mean Johnny T, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think Johnny T makes the number three spot for me, but it's good. I mean, I just don't know what else I can't off the top of my head pull anything. Trumpet of the Swan. <laughs> Trumpet of the Swan nope. is lying crippled at the bottom of the That's not true. Why Trumpet of the Swan was just fine, but it was no It was just weird. 
Yeah, we're going to just have to do Stuart Little. Someone was telling me the other day that Stuart Little's their favorite and that they wanted us to do it. So I guess huh. I guess we got to attack the other way. It's a weird one too. Well, I guess we'll do that next year. He was more picaresque than he was. And uh, like he doesn't like, E.B. White did not really like to tell an, a linear story. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, guys, I like to tell the linear story of our patrons. When I shout them out during a segment called donor shoutouts my favorite segment everyone's mm-hmm. favorite segment of the booking jake what's your favorite segment of the booking donor shoutouts i mean you got your banter mm-hmm. you got your contextual texan contextual texan you got your baggage and you got your mm-hmm. banter part two you got your banter part two banter part three you got your interrupting brandon annoyingly yeah you mm-hmm. got your brandon holding forth i guess that's part of text contextual texan they're both of those are yeah yeah I like Fat Alplane. You got Fat Alplane? <laughs> I like you too, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say donor shout-outs, number one. Uh, special guest appearances, number two. Yeah, that's probably fair. Please. Okay. So who do you think is better as a special guest, Fat Alplane or Danny? Mm, I mean, I'm taking... Brittany or the Night of Infinite Resignation over both of them. So wow, I think we should have a podcast. Our next Agatha Christie should just be Danny and Faldhoff <laughs> <laughs> and the Mysterious Phantom. Yeah. Do you know how much I would enjoy if that happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet I mean, Danny might have. We might have to get Danny to call in, but maybe we could do a three-way call between the Mysterious Phantom, Fat Owl Plane, and Danny. Finally, give Agatha Christie the respect. <laughs> that she so deserves on this podcast. I'd love to do that, Nathan. <laughs> I would too. Hey. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know you were still alive. Mysterious Phantom, are you here? Oh, man. That I don't voice know. just came oh. from beyond the grave. Maybe he's been waiting in top secret Studio B. Oh, no. Let's <laughs> hope oh, it's not booby trapped. <laughs> this is terrifying. Maybe, I think it is true that the B in. Top secret studio B stands for booby trap. <laughs> that, was dumb, man. that was really dumb to get a. I told you, you got to look at the lease before you sign it. <laughs> I should have listened. I don't care how cheap it is. Yeah, Brandon does leases as all. Well. Yeah. Well. Oh man. I just thought the top secret studio booby trap would be a good place for us to yeah. to record. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's really affordable. But yeah. yeah, it was very affordable. It's almost like somebody wanted us to be here. Yeah. Interesting. It probably should have been telling when the guy you were talking to on the phone kept refusing to meet with you. And he said, it's because I'm mysterious. And some even say I'm phantom-like. Remember you kept telling us that he was- Yeah, and he always wanted to talk- he kept asking if if Bradley could come and sign the lease instead of Bradley is. He kept wanting to talk to Bradley. This is weird. Are you guys saying that it's Fat Alplane that sold us this lease? It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) It was me. Oh, no. Guys, hear something? I thought so. Let's just keep going. Come on. I I have a feeling this is going to haunt us in the future. (laughs) I just can't imagine that the mysterious phantom will make a comeback. He died, didn't he? I mean, I don't remember. I think I shot him. Yeah. You know, you've shot a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Sorry. Blanks out of that gun over there, man. Well, guys, let's shout out our patrons. Why don't we say a candy that this patron reminds us of? Fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why don't we do it cheerfully <laughs> if no if you don't want to be sucked down the great gob stopping machine or something like that sounds like the kind of thing someone would be punished for all right robert and ronald stopper the artful anthony dodger snickers little anthony's Milky Way. cigar store 
the immortal Chelsea. Hundred grand. Jimmy Bim and little Annie Oakley. Billy the Cap. T Cap. Kit Cat. Oh, Kit Cat. I'm gonna have to look it up pretty soon. And address of the Lovebirds. Bar. <laughs> the Keith Master. Milky Way. David's Mighty Man Trucking. Nerds. <laughs> Call me and Jake that. <laughs> John and Joe, Little Baby Max. Twix. Jane and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis and Cadbury Easter eggs. Till we have faces. Gross. Uh, the book. The candy's wonderful. A fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness. Three Musketeers. Mm, fairy Princess of Wonder ha- and Happiness, Mother Beth. What? Isn't that what I just did? Sweethearts. Oh, sorry. Did I just do that again? <laughs> yeah, he did. Wow. Sweethearts. Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Baby Ruth. Nathan, not me. Reese's Pieces. Maya! 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 Nestle Crunch Bar. Something that does not hold up as an adult. A Nestle Crunch Bar. Loved them as kids. Not so good. Those little ice cream things, though, they still, they still hold up. Those things slap. You know what else slaps is Bunch of Crunch. I think... I suspect Bunch of Crunch would still hold up, although it's been a while. <laughs> but the Nestle Crunch Bar itself, overrated, sadly. Right in the Red Avenger, Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Regular M&M's. Mm, also boring candy. I'm sorry. I'll be rating these candies from now on. DJ Sammy G. Skittles. Mm, always hated Skittles. Don't like fruit candies, really. Benny and Danny's Beerus. Starburst. Don't like Starbursts. Stay away from the fruit candy. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, I love you too. Jolly Rancher. Also a lame candy. No I'm constrictor. Stick with the fruit ones now. Swedish fish. I can handle Swedish fish. Swedish fish is pretty good. One of Jake's favorite candies. Yep. Matchip. Sweet tarts. The Fair and Fragrant Men, Chloe. Peanut M&M's. Mm, those are good. They have the deal called Hate Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Cheese. Pop Rocks. Uh, those are okay. Jujitsu Jeffrey the Texas Ranger. Peanut butter M&M's. Thumbs up, obviously. Rachel. Rachel. Twizzlers. Boo. One of the most overrated candies of all time. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Caramel M&M's. Caramel? <laughs> yeah. Caramel. Yeah, they're fine. They're, they're good. Whatever. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Smarties. Eh, no. Timothy Ryder of Dawn. Pretzel M&M's. Now those slap. They're terrible. They're the worst. I've said a few. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. You just don't like sweet and savory? Yeah. You just hate life in general? No. No, you hate life? No. Are you confirming the sentence, no, you hate life by saying no? No. Like, you know, I know you hate life. Just know this. Like, <laughs> no. K-N-O-W? Pez. Uh, I don't, it always freaked me out that their, their necks opened up. <laughs> Honestly. How about Blow Pops or Tootsie Pops? Yeah, Tootsie Pops rule. Timothy the Writer at Dawn. <laughs> Did I say Jay of Rack and Ruin? Did I say Eric and Kate the Camp Champ Kings were warm and love bees? Atomic Fireballs. Manny, 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 Ooh, Andy's Mints Rock. Jacqueline the Librarian Barbarian. Mm, Charleston Chew. <laughs> mm, yummy. I'm always amused to be reminded that Charleston Chew exists. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most pretentiously named candies. One of the farth- farthest discrepancies between name and actual thing that there exists in the entire world of edibles. The Charleston Chew. Right up there with the Salisbury Steak as far as misnamed things. 
Uh, Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Did Dots. I say it? No, yes, I did. I'm all the way down to John Bombadillo, Bob Diggity, and Captain Tennille's mate. Dots are all right. Well, Bottle caps. Never had Scree. Saxophone Alex. Fun dip. The other saxophone Alex and Dubstep Danny. No Hot tamales. No caps are fun. Ryan the Terror of Texas and Eric of the Creamy Gigi Crimson fruits. who are cold, stuck in the cold place on G's. Juicy fruits. Juicy fruits are kind of lame. Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Mounds. John the Cosmic King of Chaos. Lemonheads. Matthew the Mind Flayer. Almond Joys. Mike and Ikes. Almond Joys are good. Mike and Ikes are okay. I said Almond Joy earlier. Oh. Uh, Sorry. It's fine. Annie, are you Jerry okay? Sowers. Get your gun. Laffy Taffy. <sighs> Flight of the Valerie? Orange Slices. Mm. Orange Slices? Is that the name of a candy? Orange Slices? Yeah. Oh, yeah, those are gross. That's like a gas station candy. Yep. Like It's like a road trip candy. Thor Ragnajosh. Ring Pop. <laughs> Rolo. Red Hots. Those are all good. I, I like me some Red Hots. Warheads. Whoppers. Ooh, I like Whoppers. Milk Duds. Lifesavers. Fifth Avenue, Clark Bar. Clark Bar is good. Uh, has anyone come up with a better name for Thor Ragnajosh? Now and later. It's been an entire week. I haven't been able to think of anything. Well, I guess it's Thor Ragnajosh again. I'm happy with Thor Ragnajosh. I but like Thor Ragnajosh. Hey, it works. Yeah. It's better than other things that it could be. Yeah. <sighs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Go read Roald Dahl right now. Specifically, Charlie and the Chocolate Fa- the Chac- Chocolate Factory. It's a good book. I guess we all recommend the Gene Wilder movie as well. Yep. Yep. Would you recommend the Tim Burton movie? Either one of you? <laughs> nope. Waste of time. There you go. Waste of time. Brandon, it sounds sounds like you're about to say it wasn't. Yeah. Stand up for it here. I don't know if I want to stand up for it or not. Not really. Stand up for your rights. It's fine. It's not the worst thing ever, but it's not great either. Johnny Depp's pretty obnoxious. He is. He kind of ruins the thing. That is a definitely ruins the thing. Yeah. I'm not one of these people who decided that we all just needed to hate Johnny Depp because he was lame and played out. Although he was, but when everyone hates something, it's just as lame as when everyone likes something. Yeah. So I think Johnny Depp can be just fine. But that is not one of his good performances. Not one of his good Tim Burton. I'm wearing a funny hat performances. Yeah.